Now this morning, I'm going to talk to you about the heart. I've been talking about the heart for a few weeks. I've had a couple of weeks off, but... Now I've got there, if you can read that bit down, that says real or pretend, setting our heart. And then the second, so the title of this message, setting our heart, real or pretend. But maybe I should pretend to real or mixed. Um, Because we're talking about the heart. I think most people, even even non-Christian people, you know, there's a mixture. There's this genuine... Because I think there's something that God has put. You know, we're created in God's image. You look the world over in every culture and you'll find this thing common, you know. Mothers and fathers want their children generally to succeed. Every now and then you, you find an, an aberration to that, like in history where, you know, there was child sacrifice and things like that where, you know. But then, even then, you dig down into that, that was based in fear, based in lies. You know, they, they thought in their ignorance and their idolatry and their blindness that, you know, them sacrificing a child would somehow appease the gods and, you know, they'll have food to eat next season. So there was, in all of our hearts, there's this mixture. Um, and for those of us who've been on the Christian journey for a while, um, we're very aware of it. Some of us are at the beginning of a journey, some of us a little way along, and, and none of us have finished. Um, the journey of the heart, Christ is Lord of all. So setting our heart, where do we set it? And when we look at our heart, is it real? Or are we still pretending? Or is it a mixture? So I was a few months ago, I'm going to sit down and make myself relaxed, see when we're such a comfortable crowd. I was reading Proverbs 3, right there, verse 1. And I've preached out of this verse now numerous times. This first verse says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And the Lord just captured me with that, that second part of the verse, but let your heart keep my commandments. You know, like, I mean, you can keep... You can keep rules or do things for many reasons, but the Lord's just not looking for just the many reasons. He's looking for your heart, which is why we've been talking about the heart. And of course, you know, when you read the whole book of Proverbs, heart comes up 75 times in 73 verses. Um, and that's in 31 chapters. So it's, it's the whole concept. It's, it's a big, big thing. And we initially began this little journey of, of speaking from this verse and I introduced what many of us already knew but we went through the scriptures and we discovered, you know, that wisdom, which is, Proverbs is a book about wisdom, and, but wisdom is personified in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is Jesus. Wisdom is not just an idea, it's not just a comment, it's not just being, you know, smart, you know, the ability to make correct choices, but wisdom is a person. Wisdom is the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, we, we hear, you know, but let your heart keep my commandments. Then verse 3 says, let not 
steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So we're meant to have, you know, God's ways written on our hearts. We can see in that verse that we have a role in that. And then you have that famous, you know, verse, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. The heart is a big, it's a big deal. And really it's, it's what it's all about. But, um, but for most of us, we have this, this ongoing issue of, well, I would say for all of us, we have this ongoing issue, you know, of, of a divide, you know, divided loyalties because the flesh we have with us. And we thank God that he, he remembers that we are but flesh and he helps us. Um, but the Lord is looking for something that's real, you know, in, in our eye this last Monday, I, um, you know, we've been, you know, the idea of forgiveness comes up, like out of the parables, how, you know, the, the parable of the, the lost son or the, the prodigal son. Um, you know, the father receives this, this son back. It didn't matter, you know, that he did all these things, squandered his wealth and went away, was disobedient and rebellious, but eventually come back. The father loved him, forgave him, restored him to his place. And the idea you know, coming out of the parables that they were teaching with the RI lessons was, you know, that God, God accepts you. He loves you. You're all invited to the feast. You know, it doesn't matter. You go away. You turn your heart back to him and, and the Father will receive you. And, and one of, the, one of the, um, the young boys there, he goes, oh, well, would God forgive Hitler? And what about Putin? And, um, and you know, so we... You know, how, how do you answer a, you know, a 12-year-old? Or a, it's probably not 12, maybe only like 10. Um, you know, in a way that makes sense. And, you know, the answer has to be, well, well, yes, God would forgive Hitler. And indeed, he, he would, would love to forgive Putin, as God loves to forgive us all, even, even a mass murderer, you know, which Hitler was, you know, some terrible serial killer, the most, the worstest criminal you could conceive. The Lord wants to heal them, but the thing is, you can't trick God because the Lord looks at the heart. You can't go up with the words from the gospel and go, "Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, and you came and you died for me." And yeah, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. And if it's not something that comes from your heart, if your motive is, ah, this is the way, you know, like as if it's some abracadabra recipe, the Lord don't, he won't touch you because he looks at the heart. And so, no, this is no, no trick to any of us, like no surprise to any of us. Yeah, but there is some, this, this idea in, in the world with regard to you know, getting into on God's in God's goods books, you know, like, oh well. You know, maybe if I if I'm I'm christened before I die, well that gets me as a part of the church. You know, I can live my life as I like. There's a few problems with that doctrine. Because the Lord looks at the heart. So there's many there's many scriptures. Like we don't need to go into this I'm not, I'm not preaching to the choir, but here He's a classic one. 
1 Samuel 16:7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so the Lord's selecting something. He's looking for a king. There's a very good prospect there. Big. And it wasn't, the Lord was looking at the heart. And eventually we go down the list and David gets selected. You know, there's this saying, you know, that, and the saying's this, it says, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. Are you, are you familiar with that saying? Now this, you know, has a, you know, a practical, you know, application with regard to, you know, generally, you know, some country kid, has a certain way of thinking, you know, it doesn't matter, you put him in the, ci- in the city, he'll still, you know, you can pick him out, he's a country boy. And, you know, that, that's okay. But there is a, there is a layer of, of truth or analogy in this saying with regard to we were all born in sin. And the Lord doesn't want us to believe that you can't take sin out of our heart. You know, so it's actually not like, you know, you might, the boy's in the country, you can't take country out of the boy. Well, we're in sin, but can sin be taken out of us? Well, that brings the question, how is sin taken out of us? Like we have the whole of the Old Testament, story after story after story, you know, coming back to the Lord, going away from the Lord, coming back to God, going away from God. Submission, Lord, because of hard times. Pride, apostasy, backsliding. And so we know beyond a shadow of doubt from biblical history, but also in human history, that rules don't work. You can't use rules and regulations to get sin out of a human heart. And we all have this problem. The problem with sin. But the issue is with the heart. And so of course we'll go on to this. So the truth is we were all born into sin. And so we go, well, what were we meant to do? Here, you know, this is a psalm here. I think this one's a psalm of David. It says, teach me your way, O Lord, that I, may, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. That word unite in other translations is, is put there as, as give me an undivided heart. You know, if, you, if you're thinking of, of a gemstone or something that, you know, you don't want it to be divided. You don't want imperfections in there. You want it to be whole. And so how is it that the problem of sin in the heart, how is it that our hearts, you know, being divided, how is it that this thing that we have and churched people, when I say churched people, that's people that have been exposed to church for a very long time, some of them all their life, and I was like this. I knew exactly how to behave. I knew exactly how to look. I knew exactly what to say. I knew when to say it. But it still wasn't necessarily coming from my whole heart. Because you learn a culture. 
and the Lord still looks at the heart. And sometimes you can think, why did this happen? Well, you have to look deeper inside. The story, the story continues. So, of course, this leads us to the point, a change of heart. How, you know, how, how does a heart get changed? And, and probably more pointedly, how, how do you know if your heart is changed? Let's see what the Bible has to say here. Like Again, you could pick hundreds of verses. but In Ezekiel 11, verse 19, it says here, this is a promise. It says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and I'll give them a heart of flesh. This is a famous passage. It comes up twice that I saw in Ezekiel. You know, same, same idea. The Lord's going to move, remove out a stony heart, a hard heart, and put in a heart of flesh. And when you look into the both occurrences, the other one is in Ezekiel 36. He's talking about he's going to put a new spirit in. Um, that's the key. You know, like how is the heart changed? We just said before that human effort and rules don't ever achieve it, but the Lord has done something that makes it possible. Because we said before, the idea about, you know, with the boy being born in the country and you not be able to take the country out of the boy, we can't actually believe that with regard to sin. Because Jesus Christ came and dealt with sin and he did completed a finish and complete work. And so sin is dealt with, the power of sin is dealt with, and sin is able to be taken out of heart. And when the Lord cleanses and when the Lord forgives, he does so completely. So we don't have a heart that is black or some shade of grey. What happens is the Lord cleanses our heart. And that is actually, you know, meant to manifest in some change of behaviour, of course, change of what's in our heart. And we think, oh, well, you wish it was a switch. Like, click. All of a sudden, new heart. But um, there's, there's two realities. One, a spiritual reality where our righteousness is Christ's righteousness, and that is a bit like a switch because the Lord credits to us faith, credits to us righteousness because of our faith. But then the journey of sanctification, the journey of becoming, walking free from sin in terms of what we believe, who we are, who we really are. Not going to church and putting on a face, not pretending. But this happens. We think, well, how does this happen? So this happens. And so we all have this problem, and um, problem with culture. And I'm not sure if I can stay seated for this particular illustration, but um, I probably could because it's about driving. And so I'm, I'm seating. And so when you drive, for years, those of you who are familiar with Rockhampton, there's Stanley Street and there's a level crossing where the train crosses the street there and for a very long time there was a stop sign there and you would stop there used to be two train tracks and they pulled one out and now there's but anyway you'd stop you'd look for trains and you'd go as you know a safe driver would do obeying the law you know because you don't want to get hit by a train so right where the trains come out of the railway station 
And um, I stopped at that stop sign for years. You'd, you'd stop at that stop sign and not remember that you stopped at the stop sign because it was such, such a habit. And uh, one day, I turn up and the stop sign's gone and there's you know, flashing lights. They hadn't put boom gates there yet, but there's flashing lights. So now it was you know, one of those level crossings where you didn't have to stop. You could just see the flashing lights and only stop then. But guess what? I kept stopping. I'd drive down that street and I'd stop and then I'd go, oh, I don't need to stop. And it happened again and again and again. And this is an illustration for what our life can be like. Habits. It just becomes automatic. And I had to go through this, this whole process. I, I was frustrated. I'd kick myself. I'd go, oh, someone could run up the back of me. I don't need to stop here. And I had to understand the truth, and I had to see the lie. Now, we're talking about a level crossing. This is not a big deal. But I had to, I had to understand the truth and go, okay, the stop sign is now longer. There, it's, it's gone. There is no stop sign. I am allowed to drive straight through, and I only need to stop if I see the red lights flashing. That's the truth. And the lie that I believe is that I have to stop because something's changed. So what I used to do, my old practices, my old behaviours, they're no longer the case. They no longer apply to me and what I need to do now because there's been a change of circumstances. The environment's changed. And of course this overlaps into a spiritual thing. This is, this is the problem everybody has in their life, this process going on where they're dealing with things from the past that are habits. And it's like as if they're automatic. It's a default setting in your brain. Now, it's actually a physical thing in your brain. And on top of that, you have spiritual things where, especially if it's a stronghold and something that might be a, something that's not benefited your family for a long time, you can have spirits sitting there and guarding that lie. You know, and every time you go near it, your life blows up or something. And so you just don't go there. It's too hard. And you just carry on. And so the frustration continues, but the change doesn't happen. So I had to go through this, pro this process. Understand the truth. See the lie. And then I went through this thing where, you know, this is what really annoying me because I'm still stopping at this stop sign. This, is, this, is, this process went on for nearly a year. I was a maintenance plumber doing lots of stuff, driving down. And in that street was one of the ways you get around the busy part of the city, so I drove it often. And um, so frustrated, kicking yourself. And so I started to prepare before it happened. I knew it was coming. I'm turned down Stanley Street, I'm heading down, and the strange thing is it never happened when I was going away from the river, only ever towards the river. Don't know why. Who, who would understand a brain? And habits. But I would prepare. As I walked down, I would prepare. I'd go, okay, Justin, you do not need to stop at this level crossing um, because it's now controlled by these flashing lights. Um, so I can drive straight through without stopping. And I would prepare. 
And this, this has direct application to how the process of our own hearts, changing our own, getting rid of the habits, is you actually need to prepare. And then don't give up because sometimes you forget to prepare. You know, something as, as, as low level as that and it sneaks up on you and you're like, oh, stopped at that time again. You know, Psalm 51 says, verse 9 and 11, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. In these two verses that are on the screen there, that one in Ezekiel about you know, a new spirit I will put within them, and here it says, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And above it it says, renew a right spirit within me. And it begins that sentence there, create in me. We, we, rules, don't, rules don't do it. You, you'll see, and I, if I get time, we'll mention it a bit again later, there's a cooperation that goes on here. We need the Holy Spirit. It didn't work at all in all of the Old Testament times. Every now and then you had an outstanding example and when you look into that outstanding example, you see the work of the Holy Spirit. You see faith. You see love and a heart set on the Lord. That's what you see in all of them. You don't see the rules making the difference. You see the heart after God making the difference. And um, I'll fast forward through this next little bit, but, you know, like, I had a season in life where, you know, it was, it was a very dark season, a long, long season. And you had things like depression, you'd feel down. And for me it was like, um, you would see it coming. It would be like this vortex, like this, if you could imagine some wormhole that just sucking you in, just... And that was like, it was like, it would, it would actually be like, you'd feel like as if in myself, about like a spiralling, I'd just get sucked into this thing. And like, I mean, it wasn't for, a, you know, a day or a week, it would be for months. You know, I thank God for, I thank God for lots of things, especially for Rosalind, she's, she's amazing, she, you know. It wasn't pleasant if I'm in a hole for a, for months, you know, I'm talking many months, you know, it might be six months or eight months, and I stick my head out again. And um, you know, I see this, in this process of seeing it, recognising lies, there's of course more, gratitude, very big key, you know, thanking the Lord for circumstances rather than wallowing in them. Um, Seeing it coming. But the point is that it's the help of the Holy Spirit that makes the. It's essential. We cannot do it by ourselves. But did you know that the Holy Spirit also uses people? We're actually not meant to do these things by ourselves. We're not actually meant to overcome. We're not actually meant to sort of go into the little corner and, you know, pray our special prayers or whatever it is and go, all right, I'm ready. Now, yes, there's a place for that, 
You should do that as well. You know, the prayer closet is an important spot to be. We should not neglect our personal prayer and our, that's essential. Otherwise you'd have nothing on the inside of you. Your backbone will be compromised. You need, you need that time with the Lord. We need one another. And the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit? He's God, described as the Spirit of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was with us physically on the earth. You know, God became flesh, dwelt amongst us. And then he said, oh, it's, it's good that I return to the Father so that I can send. It's the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit continues with the same agenda as the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, proceeding from the Father and the Son in us. Not only in me, but also in you. We need each other. And so this process of overcoming, the process of having a heart genuinely changed, so we don't have to pretend, this idea of being able to come before one another and not pretend and not have a divided heart, that's empowering when you begin to discover that. You turn up to church and you have to put on a face. It can't be real. It uses up a lot of emotional energy because you're acting. And eventually, it all falls over. Um, and if it doesn't fall over, it just meant you, means you, you're not going deeper. You just, you just become really good at acting. And so your heart stays this, this place. And so, if there's just one little thing there, whether to share that, I will. How do you kill shame? You know, I just basically told you how to kill shame. You know, the power of shame is all in this idea of what will people think of me if they knew? That's what shame is. So shame, if you want to look at it another way, is a, a powerful manifestation of pride. It's, but it's debilitating. And the enemy just wants to go, hmm. And he wants to lock you out of relationships, most especially with the Lord, but also with each other. So you go to each other. You go to the household. You go and you present something that you, th you know is, expect is acceptable because you're just presenting culture, whether it's community culture or church culture or family culture. You present what's what is acceptable, but you're hiding what you know is unacceptable. And you think, oh, I can't share that because that's shameful. And so, how do you kill it? Well, you share it. First of point of call, of course, is with the Lord. You know, because there's some things that you can break through just with you and the Lord. You just go to the Lord and you go, I am not going to hide my iniquity from you. Lord, here. Here I am. And the Lord will heal your shame. He'll forgive your sin. You go to the Lord. But if, if that doesn't shift it, if you want to shortcut it, find someone you love and you trust, share. 
It'll kill the shame, like real, real fast. Takes the power out of it. Because the, the power of the shame is what would people know if they... So you just let people know. And guess what? You're loved, you're cherished, you're forgiven, you still belong, you're part of the household of God. You continue on, you find out that most of us are like the rest of us. You're actually not so crazy and unclean after all. Yeah, we need each other. And so we have this mutual responsibility. You know, it's, let's see what this, this psalm says. Here in Psalm 32, this is the Lord speaking. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bitten bridle. Can you see the mutual? Here we have here the Lord saying, you can go home and read Psalm 32. The Lord's saying, it's like this little shift in the, in the psalm right there where the Lord's speaking. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. How do you think the Lord does that? He does it with his Holy Spirit. He does it with his word. And the word, who is the word? Is Jesus. And then it goes, do not be like horse or mule without understanding. Understanding. Who is understanding? The way of wisdom. The way that the Lord instructs us, the way that he deals with us, when he's got his eye upon us, what he's actually walking, working towards is so that we're not like a, a horse or a mule that require a bit in our mouth to get us to go here or there. He wants us to be wise. He wants our hearts to understand. So that's what he's working towards. He's dealing with us. And it's a mutual thing. The Lord does his bit and without him it's never, ever, ever worked. In all of human history, it's never, ever, ever worked without God's help because we're hopelessly lost in sin. Our hearts are desperately wicked in our own. We can't will ourselves. We can't try hard ourselves into heaven or into a better heart state. It's God's job. Ah, but it's our job because the Lord deals with us and we walk with him. And one of the ways we walk with him is we walk with one another. Did you know that? It's, it's just how it is in the scriptures. Because the Lord has made us to be a people. Never, ever, ever, ever did he intend for us to be alone. So we have these two things, the way of wisdom or the way of foolishness. And they are both issues of the heart. So, yeah, time's far, passing quickly. So how do we know what is really in our hearts? How would we know? Um, how do you know, you know, if you, when you go to school, how do you know, or how do the teachers know, if you know a subject? Like, you know, you've learnt, you know, gone through a unit of math, you've learnt long division. How do they know if you've actually learnt long division? Well, they test you. Um, 
We too, in our lives, are subject to periods and times of testing. And, um, you know, in Deuteronomy here, 8 2, it says, and this is Moses, you know, Deuteronomy is the second reading of the law, so he's got the whole assembly there and he's reading, he's going to read the law to them. And he says, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. The Lord tests us. And um, now there's different ways to, to think about testing. Um, you know, some people despise it. You know, they, they avoid it. They're in fear of it. Um, because they're in fear of it, they don't prepare for it. And then they end up believing lies because of it. You know, if, if you want someone, and I've seen this at, like with math, the classic, you know, people decide, you know, when they're, you know, in year one or two, oh, math is hard, you know, and they hear their parents or their older things say, oh, yeah, yeah, math's hard. And so they, they decide even before they try, oh, it's hard. And then they have their first math test, and they go, oh, no, it is hard. And then they believe in lies. Well, math is not hard. You should learn how to do it. You know, of course, some people have a better aptitude than others, but in that lower level of math, the vast majority of the problem has to do with, you know, what you believe about yourself, not about the math itself. And so the problem is you start believing a lie and then you don't prepare. It means you don't study for the test. You think, oh, you're not going to win, not going to pass anyway, so you don't study. And guess what? You don't learn. And as you go through the grades, the test gets harder and harder, and, oh, you're, you're bad at math. No, you're not bad at math. You just never bothered learning. And the reason why you didn't bother learning is because you believed the lie. Now, this is a math school-based example, but it happens to us all in life. The way that we view testing is really important. If we despise it, if we avoid it, then we'll end up believing lies about ourselves and not preparing. Remember I was talking about the level crossing? I would prepare myself, driving down that street, saying, I am approaching this level crossing and I don't have to stop. When you, I have to overcome things, you need to prepare. So that's our responsibility, but it's also the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. He reminds us. He prompts us. He gives us witness. We're going to go do something that we know is a sin. Guess what the Holy Spirit does? He convicts us of our sin. We get that check in our heart and we go, and then it's up to us what we do. So, with regard, to, some people despise testing. Others just blissful ignorance, which is usually a result of, you know, maybe a lesser form of the earlier one. Just ignorant. No, I don't need it. It doesn't apply to me. They've moved on to another part of their life. So I'm just happy with the status quo. I'm staying right here. Thank you very much. And the thing about that is it's not blissful at all. You're just adrift and you end up on the rocks because if you think you're still in spiritual things or if you think you're still in life, you're not. You're going where culture takes you. And the enemy, the crosswinds and the currents will take you onto the rocks. Um, other folk, they look at tests and they value it. 
They see it as a part of growth. They see it important for the next thing. You know, you think university, for example. I go through all this, I get my degree, and then I get my job. Money, career. That's one mode of thinking, you know. And they end up believing truth because of it. Because they apply, they prepare, even though it's difficult. And did you know that when you get a question wrong in a test, well, that's informative. It shows you what you don't know. So you can go back and revisit it and learn it. And because you understand the context more, you'll actually probably learn it better. I have a really good illustration I'd like to share, but I don't have time. <laughs> About training apprentices. Here in Ecclesiastics, chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, it says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. Now, we said before that we were all born into sin. And this is something common to humanity. And the uncomfortable truth is, is very often unless difficulties are put in our path because of our error, because of our sin, difficulties are testings. The Lord uses difficulties to test us. And the uncomfortable truth, even though we might not like it, is that unless those difficulties come, we won't see that we are but beasts. And without the Lord, without the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we are but beasts. There's another psalm, you know, Psalm of Asaph, I think, Psalm 73, it says, he's talking about you know, how he envied the arrogant when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he's, a little bit later, he says, I was a brute beast before you. The arrogance of the human heart. It's not going my way. I'm not getting what I want. It's too hard. We all struggle with these feelings. But one of the things that testing does is it shows us what's really on the inside. And without testing, without difficulties. You know, I talked to you a period about before where I used to fall into uh, some vortex for months at a time. One of the things, there's numerous things, but one of the key things that helped me see that vortex coming was gratitude. Actually seeing that the Lord uses difficulties. He uses circumstances to show you what's in your heart and that the Lord, and this is exciting even more than that, if the Lord is going to give you difficulties as tests to show you that you're a beast, it means he, he considers you part of his household. He considers you one of his family. He considers you a son, someone worth disciplining, someone he wants to discipline. It would be a terrible thing for the Lord not to regard you as a son, a member of his household. That would be a terrible thing if the Lord said, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about you. You're not part of my family. Just any time's all right for you to die. No, no, no. What a terrible, terrible thing. And so the thing that shifted my heart was I need to be grateful. I need to see. Lord, may this difficulty, may this, circumstances that, this circumstance that I find myself in that has gone on for so long, may I learn everything I can from it 
gratitude. Actually understanding the role and the place of testing. What's it do? It changes your heart. I need to finish. We'll run through this. This for a long time was my favourite verse. might still be. It's one of my favourite verses. You see I've got there up the top this sort of very hard to understand title. It says, divine influence, shine upon, train up, lifetime, peculiar, zealous, toil. Just words. They all come out of this, this passage associated with the bits, the words that are highlighted. They're in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. It says here, for the grace of God, that's the divine influence. The grace of God has appeared, well, that, that means to shine upon. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce. That word training means like to train up a child. As Christians, we start as baby Christians drinking milk, and the Lord wants us to mature. He trains us up like a child. He trains us up to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live. That word live, it's not just in a moment, but it's for a lifetime. Just a little pocket of time. No, 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 it's extended. It's a lifetime. It's your life. To actually have life in that place. To live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. That's where that word peculiar comes from. You'll find that in a, in a literal translation, like the King James. A peculiar, you know, means beyond usual. Strange, beyond usual, we're aliens. But to, you know, to purify for himself, the Lord Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all lawless, to purify for himself a people, his own possession, who are zealous for good works. That zealous for good works, it means eager. And it also means toil. It means work, toil. Good works, stuff to do, work is worship. So we'll finish with that. It's our hearts. It's our hearts the Lord wants. And it's a cooperative effort. Holy Spirit helps us. We help each other. The fellowship of the believers. The Lord wants our hearts. But don't despise the testing. Value the testing. Because it produces a good outcome. And the thing about testing, though, is that it doesn't stop. You think about in the world, you know, you, so you grade one and two, your you tests are simple. Grade sevens are a bit harder. By the time you get to year 10, they're a little bit harder again. You know, you finish in year 12, you're a little bit harder. You go into university. You know, the final year tests, they're testing your competency for a career. Then you do postgraduate studies. You're going through and you, there's tests. And then even when you are in your career, 
new challenges. You're growing. The test is, is not like a written test. The test is the outcome. It continues. Same in Christianity. Just, just more so with issues of the heart. And it overlaps into other areas because then you start to deal with bigger things in the spiritual realm. You have bigger enemies opposing you. Things overcome. And it all goes back to what we prayed, what I prayed very right at the God's intent was that Christ, through the church, would make known the manifold wisdom of God. One of the things that God is revealing by his grace, the mystery that he's revealed, is that not only is the gospel for all nations, it's not just the Jewish people, all nations, but he's using us, his people, to reveal how wise he is. We're part, we're the very ones that he's using to establish his rule, his reign, and the Bible says, Psalm 110, his scepter will extend there from Zion. That's the rule of Christ coming out of his church, filling the earth. He will reign from sea to sea. Of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And the Lord uses us to do it. It's exciting. All that grand concepts, and guess what? It comes back to our heart. The Lord wants your heart. Because you can't do it. You can't do it with, with an unyielded heart. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the enabling of your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit? Would you enable us? Would you grant us grace? Lord, as the word of God says, we need your Holy Spirit to remind us of the things that Jesus said. We need your Holy Spirit that we would understand the word of God Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to accept the things that you say. We need your Holy Spirit, Lord, to, Lord, to discern, Lord, good and evil. Lord, the conviction of your Spirit. You lead us into all truth. Thank you. Lord, your Holy Spirit empowers us. And Lord, it is by your hand, the very finger of God, that you write upon our hearts. Lord, would you help us? Lord, would you put your spirit upon us as people and as a fellowship? And Lord, in this locality, raise your church up in strength. Lord, for your church to be strong, you must have your heart and the agenda of the Lord Jesus Christ, that which is in your heart to be in our heart. Lord, because if what's in your heart isn't in our hearts, then your church won't be strong. Neither will we be strong. It'll be divided. So, Lord, may your heart, the heart of God, be ours. Holy Spirit, pour, fill us, enable us, encourage us, equip us, and protect us. And help us on the journey. The journey. Thank you, Lord. We delight in you. Amen.